1: Hey, welcome to the 318th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Isaac Breeding, Ben Blair, Meredith Bragg, James Flores, and Meredith
2: Kirkman. I'm Matt Enlow, And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have Sujata Day on. She is a filmmaker, an actor, a writer, a producer. She has a movie that she directed called Definition Please that is on Netflix this second. You should go check it out or at least watch the trailer if you want to have some good context for what we're talking about. She is also a regular on Insecure as an actor. She has her short Cowboy and Indian that did the festival circuit and has been developed into a studio project. She's just doing everything. And we had a really great conversation with her. She's been in L.A. for a few years now and has kind of done everything and tried everything. And she also used to be an engineer like me, which is probably the best part of it. It's not so great that like her and I were both engineers in college as the satisfaction I get from Matt not having that in common with our guest.
1: Yeah. I was about to say that it's really a treat when you have so much common ground between coming up in digital, doing web series, you know, making indie features and like doing the whole thing. So many friends in common. It's really wonderful. And Oren... just went straight for the the one thing that I didn't have in common with Sujata.
2: No, I, anything that makes you feel like a third wheel makes me happy for some reason. Before we talk to Sujata, I just want to tell you, I took my son to this place, which is like a baby gym where, you know, people climb on all sorts of things. They have like swings and trampolines and they like they do they kind of guide you through the activities, sing songs, whatever. But I ran into someone I know there, Corey Podell, who is a writer and just directed something and I was like, oh, I hadn't seen her for years. How are you doing? She's like, good. I actually, your podcast, I listened to it and it helped me a lot for when I was directing. So, oh, that's so nice. Which is your other pet peeve, I believe, mm. that only I run into people who listen to the podcast. So if you listen to the podcast, then run into me, please. And try to avoid Matt at all costs. <laughs> Anyhow, anything else you want to tell us before we hop into our conversation? Why belabor the point? People are here for Sujata. They're here to hear what she has to say. And they also might be
1: here because they just like supporting us in various ways. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot It Pod, which is the place where you can throw us a couple bucks to help keep the show running. Oren's tried to quit many times and I've said, Oren, think of the patrons.
2: Anyhow, if you check out our Patreon, it's where you can help us keep the show going. If you give us a $15 pledge, even one time for one month, you will get a free just Shoot It hat, which is a great hat to wear on set. People are going back on set. I mean, I know they've been going back mm-hmm. on set for like a year and a half, but I feel like people are really shooting nonstop nowadays. So that is true. Get your Just Shoot It hat if you want to be like one of the cool kids.
0: Cool fact.
2: Okay, we are here with Sujata Day. Thanks for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: Yeah, we met you through Maureen, right? Maureen Barucha?
4: Yes, who I love. Who I love. Something special really happened over the pandemic where a few of us, South Asian female filmmakers, just started talking to each other via social media and we've become this really great supportive clique.
2: Like you didn't know each other beforehand?
4: I think we had friends in common. And we were following each other on socials, but we had never introduced ourselves or had any kind of chatting until all of our movies started to come out at the same time.
1: I think not to derail us immediately. (laughs) But I, I think there is something interesting about people connecting on social media and then forming like real honest to goodness friendships and relationships out of it. So you were aware of each other. You're all of your movies are coming out. I'm curious about the step from like retweeting each other and like maybe like yes anding a joke or something like that to like, oh no, let's be friends for real. Like, did you DM the person? Like, did you meet in real life? Like, how did that happen? I'm curious. I
4: definitely uh, we were following each other and then probably liking each other's posts and tweets. And then I saw that Golden Arm was picked up by Utopia. And at that time, we were still looking for distribution for definition, please. So I DM'd her and I said, hey, like really, you don't have to do this. But I was just wondering if I could get the name of someone at Utopia, or you could introduce me to them. And and she was more than happy to do that. So that kind of started off our friendship. And then towards the fall 2021, um, like a few months ago, we had a mutual friend, Amy Aniobi, who had a party. And that was the first time Maureen and I met each other in real life. And we introduced ourselves. And then Now there have been um, a few different South Asian events, screenings, parties, and we see each other at these parties as well. So that's how it kind of developed into a friendship.
1: So there's two takeaways there that I feel like are worth pointing out. One, when you DM someone, like having a clear ask right? You know, there was something very pointed about the reason that you were communicating with one another. And then also filmmakers like to help each other out, especially on distribution. Not me. Yeah, I think it is. It (laughs) is totally, except for Oren, that's true. He's not really interested in distribution. (laughs) No, I mean, helping. Yeah. Helping. Sure, sure. But, you know, people, especially if things are kind of like shrouded in secrecy and distribution really tends to be, you know, it is 100% appropriate to ask someone, hey, like, how was your experience with this company? Like, that's Mm -hmm. a thing that we don't really talk about enough on the show, like, but advocating for each other and like voicing opinions and and experiences is the way that we can kind of create a little bit more transparency and protect one another. So
2: from our own experience, like asking for specific advice is so much better than asking. I mean, I'm sure you've had the Sujata where people are like new in L.A. and they're like, can I you know, pick your brain? And you're like, "Okay, what's up? And then they're like, so what do you think I should do? Like, how do I get into the film business? And you're like, what do you want to do? They're like, I don't know, anything.
4: Being specific is the key. And also just being kind and respectful of people's time and energy. And, you know, in in situations like that, where there's a, you meet someone at a party and then all of a sudden they're hitting you up and they're like, will you read my 150-page script Mm -hmm. and give me notes? Mm -hmm. And that is not being respectful of someone else's time and energy.
2: Okay, so you have a movie on Netflix. You're recurring on Insecure. You're a Sundance Lab fellow. But can you take us back to how you got into filmmaking in the first place?
4: Sure. I grew up in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Pittsburgh. Had a, a really great childhood. Started doing musicals. Started acting. Was a writer, um, not a screenwriter, was like wrote poems and short stories and um, things that kids like to write.
2: And was your family like supportive of you wanting to be My
4: family arts? was very supportive, actually, and they would be in the front row of every single musical that I was in um, every night that it was on. So six nights, always with a bouquet of flowers. It was really really sweet. They they were supportive of my writing, would like tell me what contests to enter, excited about my AP English scores. And then I was also really good at math and science, so I ended up going to Case Western to study engineering.
2: I also have an engineering degree.
4: Oh, cool. Very cool. And yeah. I was systems and control.
2: It was computer science and electrical.
4: There you go. There you go. We would have been in the same department, probably. Even while I was studying engineering at CASE, I still continued to write and enter like magazine competitions and also continue to do plays. And something that was really exciting for me was my senior year of college. I took a semester of playwriting and a semester of screenwriting, and that switched over my writing into actually writing for theater and the screen, which was really, really fun for actors. And yes. Yeah. So that was great. And then After I graduated, I got a job at a global consulting firm, Accenture. And that job moved me to Los Angeles. They paid for my trip.
1: Oh, interesting. And
4: I was making one of the biggest salaries in my graduating class upon graduation.
2: Is that like a like posted on a website?
4: We were just kind of like talking to everyone like, oh, what was your offer? What was your offer? What was your offer? And I was always... I'm very excited because I was a woman and getting paid a lot more than a lot of my male friends <laughs> and and I, awesome. I think it was because I was moving to Los Angeles and they were obviously staying around Ohio and Pennsylvania um, so when I moved out here, I was a consultant which really aided my entertainment career. I moved out here to specifically be an actor. And the thing about consulting is you never have to go to work unless you are placed on a project. And I just tried really hard to not get placed on a project. So, oh, so you were
2: already, when you moved to LA, you wanted to act even though you were an, an engineer, or, yes. or a con, you know, you would do you set up like PeopleSoft or something for people, for companies.
4: No, it was uh, with Accenture, you get placed at different companies to be consultants for them to standardize their HR system or computerize. Basically, you go in, you fire a bunch of employees, and then you make everything computerized.
2: Right, up in the air style.
4: Yes, yes. And office space style, too. So um went in, just tried really hard to never get it, put on a project, which was really great because... When I wasn't going into work, I met with some agents, would audition. I got headshots, started taking acting classes. I was doing all this stuff to kind of lay the foundation of my professional career. And after a year of working slash being the worst worker at Accenture, I got laid off, which was actually really awesome because I got severance and unemployment. And then about six to eight months later.
2: Can I ask what year that was? 12-ish years ago. You know, you
1: had like a good day job. Oftentimes when people move to Los Angeles and they're like, you know, starting out as actors, like they're waiting tables or things like that. So you had a higher standing standard of living. You were making great money, basically, while still doing that hustle. Were your peers like other actors that you were talking to? Could they relate? What, what was that like? Like you had a little bit more disposable income to say buy headshots, which You're are like,
2: expensive. Yeah. Twenty five hundred dollar headshots. And so everyone else is using like, did you notice a difference at all or no? Polaroids.
4: So I still lived like I was on a lower income because I knew that I wasn't going to be working there for very long. So I knew that I had to save up the money that I was uh, making to last a few years or so if I wasn't going to start booking jobs right away. I don't think my actor friends really noticed anything different because like my friends at Accenture were buying brand new BMWs, but I was still driving my Honda Civic. Like a
2: cheap Mercedes.
4: <laughs> no, my <laughs> Honda Civic that I've had, that Accenture actually shipped over from, from Cleveland. So I just was saving money. I was living with roommates and living that like kind of striving mm-hmm. artist life. And I really had fun after Accenture. I started booking those commercials and... I did start waiting tables and hostessing at restaurants and mm-hmm. I loved every second of it because that's what you see on TV. And you're like, movies. I'm doing
2: it. Yeah. I'm
4: doing it. Like this is what the girls on TV do.
2: I don't want to make this show about engineering, but as an engineer, I tried to get a job at the bookstore and like, they didn't hire me cause they, they didn't feel like I had enough like history and personality based careers. So I feel like it's like the dream of an engineer to be like a, wait, you know, a server at a restaurant where people like are talking to you.
4: Exactly. It is. (laughs) It is like
2: a normal person.
4: And everyone in my acting classes actually thought it was strange that I loved waitressing and hostessing. So can
2: you tell us any Mm -hmm. cool restaurants you worked at?
4: Um, I worked at the palms, which was fun. The, the Palm Steakhouse. I mm-hmm. thought that was um, and I wasn't a waiter there because you had to kind of be a really good waiter if you were yeah, yeah. working. Well,
2: don't you a- think L.A. has must have the best servers in the world, right? I mean, yeah, it's LA <laughs> because of
1: New York actors. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There is that thing where you kind of have to make a decision at a certain point, like around 30. You know, I feel like people are like, oh, am I going to be a career waiter? I'm like very good at this. I'm doing well. Like, maybe this is my life now, you know?
3: I wasn't
4: super good at it either, <laughs> you, though.
1: It is a hard job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of multitasking.
3: I wasn't
4: yeah. super good at waitressing, which is why I went into hostessing, which is a lot easier just seating the tables. And and you have a lot more power that way, too. You know, the, the customers are like, ooh, I want to sit at these two front tables. Can you put me there? And, of course, they would have to give me a tip for me to sit them at those certain tables that they want to be seen at.
2: What Especially- is that? How you do it?
4: Yes. Why that's they how I- always
2: seat me by the bathrooms.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've literally never
2: thought about it. I've just been like, "Yo, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bathroom table. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, it's so convenient. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so you were an actor and then your friend Issa Ray calls you up and is like, will you do my web show? And you're like, no, it's dumb. And then you're like, Fine. And That's then
4: exactly how all that went down. No. Speaking of speaking of meeting people on the internet, I met Isa on Twitter and
1: had she started the show yet or no?
4: She had not started awkward black girl yet. She okay. had, she had had two other web series um, that hadn't really gone mm-hmm. as big as awkward black girl had gone. Um, and I didn't know anything about her. Uh, At that time, we we were both on Twitter. Uh, I started following uh, a person called Film TV Diversity. Joshua runs that site.
2: Were you like a big tweeter? Like, were you like building a a fan base on Twitter?
4: I mean, I had like... 20 followers or so at the time i mean i think i had just left facebook i had just deleted my facebook account and then i realized that i wanted i needed a social media so i was like okay what is this twitter thing i guess i'll do twitter and this is 11 ish years ago before
2: elon musk owned it
4: (laughs) yes 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 and so i started following film tv diversity josh would tweet out This is when there was like follow Friday, hashtag Mm -hmm. follow Friday. And he would tweet out different directors, web series creators, writers, actors to follow. And I would just follow everybody that he was recommending. I was like, okay, this is cool. This is cool. And then Issa was one of them. She followed me right back. And then a couple of days later, she tweeted out, I'm looking for a mixed looking girl to play my best friend on a web series that I'm creating and I DM'd her and I said, Hey, I'm not mixed, but this is what I look like. Let me know if this is, if I can come in to audition. And she said, yeah, come on down. And then gave me the address and pull up to the house, which is, you know, you don't want to go to an audition at a house if you're,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> if you're a girl or a woman and it's uh, a pretty bad
2: sign all around, yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah, yeah. It is. It was a nice neighborhood. It wasn't like shady neighborhood or anything. But I was still like, oh, do I go into the house? I was sitting in the car, kind of thinking about my options here. And Isa walked out of the house. She was on her phone. And I was just like, whatever. It's a girl. Yeah. She's not. She can't hurt me. <laughs>
1: Also, to be fair, like the web series wise, it's not like they were making like YouTube wasn't monetized yet. Like if you were making a web series, it was because you were trying to like make your mark and like find an audience and practice your craft. So like cards are on the table inherently. Like you have to explain what a web series is to most people. So like, of course, it's going to be at a house because like where else is it going to be? What, well, know, like,
2: on that note, I will like, I guess my advice would be, especially if you're a creepy dude and you're trying to cast people, don't do it at your house. What I've done for short films, like when I first moved to L.A. is like you can rent theaters for like 25 bucks an hour, like small theaters or sure, like the new place or something. I yeah. Think. Yeah, yeah. Or like when I lived in San Francisco, we would just literally go to coffee shops <laughs> and like meet actors there. A uh, House is kind of a red flag for
1: people in one sense. But I guess what I'm saying is in the sense of, like, budget and
2: scale, it tracks. tracks. Yeah, yeah. And you knew who she was from Twitter, obviously. She wasn't, like, no one. Like, she wasn't, like, a hidden anonymous person.
4: Right, but she also didn't have a lot of followers on Twitter at that time either. So I don't think that counted for much.
1: (laughs) We're not advocating that you go to (laughs) someone's house after you meet them on Twitter when they... (laughs) No matter what they say.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember. said meet him in a public place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're a web series creator, rent, rent a theater, rent a room like Oren says.
1: But you rolled the dice. I rolled and- the
4: dice and I walked yeah. into that residential house and and I did the audition and it was great. And it was took five minutes, probably. Then I left. And then I think a couple hours later, she emailed me. She's like, you got the part. And I this was like, awesome. great. And she said, come, <laughs> come on down. You're like, and-
2: am I going to get a copy and credit? One <laughs> or what?
4: And then in, uh, she said, we're going to shoot it in a month or two. Come on down to Inglewood at my dad's doctor's office. That's where we're going to shoot it. And I went in and it was just Issa and her brother. And her brother had a, a camera that was attached. The microphone was attached to it.
2: Yeah. DVX 100.
4: I obviously had to do my own hair and makeup and clothes. And we shot a scene in the hallway that's, I believe in episode three of season one of Opera Black Girl. We shot it, took probably 20 minutes tops. And then she was like, thank you so much. And then that was it. And I left and I was like, what did I get myself into? <laughs>
2: Wait, so in all like all honesty, did it seem just like any other web series or did she seem especially talented
4: at the time? She just seemed like any other, like I was right, doing, like I, I was doing USC short films at the time. Mm-hmm. I was oh, doing they had like
2: dollies and stuff.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So I I was doing a whole bunch of stuff, you know, for, for the, for the reel to
2: mm-hmm.
4: put stuff on my reel. And this was one of them, one of the many things that I was doing. So, um, that that was it
2: you know obviously your acting career is taken <laughs> off you're doing big things small things commercials you're making a living when did you get the bug to be the filmmaker the writer director
4: it definitely start i had been writing some scripts before awkward black girl and once i started doing awkward black girl regularly we would be shooting on the weekends because a lot of the cast and crew were friends of Issa's from stanford so Everyone had normal jobs.
1: Just a, a quick history lesson for people at home, just in case no one has figured it out by now. So basically, the Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl was Issa Rae's, I guess, third web series, but her breakout web series, right? Yes. And that is what kind of snowballed into Insecure, right? So, like, there's a pretty clear direct path. You know, we're joking about how, you know, it was a small bootstrappy sort of situation, but that was when web series were, that was kind of the name of the game for all of them. There weren't that many out there that had really found an audience yet. Like, this, we're talking about the era of, like, the Guild. I was Hymanian. also on the
0: Guild! Were you really? That's yes.
1: so funny.
4: I was on the last season of the Guild.
1: That's so wild! It was an exciting time, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, there's only a handful of shows that ended up becoming bona fide multi-season TV shows, and Insecure is one of them, right? So, like, just to kind of connect the dots for people, like, that weird interaction on Twitter, you know, changed your life.
4: Completely changed my life, yeah. And so yeah. at the time, I obviously didn't know it was going to change my life.
1: And then, so that it snowballed, you ended up being on the show as well, and so now, back to Oren's question of when... When you kind of got that, so
4: being on the show, being around Issa as she's writing and creating and and putting this budget of the web series on her credit cards and maxing out credit cards, putting together a successful Kickstarter after seven episodes of season one, and watching some of the other crew members go on to write other things, other web series or pilots—that's where it really inspired me to dig deeper into my work and helped me to focus on my authentic voice and who and what I wanted to write for. And Issa was obviously writing for black women in this audience that hadn't been catered to before. And I recognized in my community, we're also being ignored by traditional media. And so that really inspired me to write scripts and features and pilots that had to deal with the South Asian American perspective specifically. I felt like I had a story that had never been told before, that I'd never seen on screen, that if I was a 12-year-old girl, I would want to see... The stuff that I created. And that was enough to give me the confidence to push forward and start pitching pitching my ideas and start sharing my scripts.
2: And so what was the first thing you made as a director, writer, director?
4: I formed a little band with my friend, Will Collier, and we called ourselves the Naked Hipster Project. And our music was very much inspired by... Oh,
2: like literally a band. Yes. (laughs)
4: Yes, <laughs>
2: okay. yeah, I, I'm with you,
1: and I thought you were like, "Oh I like, mean, uh, like our, uh, yeah, a yeah. group. Yeah, yeah, like a yeah. No, 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 like, like, a, like, a,
4: like a musical band. And our music was inspired by she and him and a lot of fun, kind of indie duet. Uh, singer-songwriters, and so we just started writing music, and we would record the music in his studio. And I said, "Oh, these are fun songs! I think I would love to direct some videos for us." And so I directed a few of our music videos, and they're on YouTube. Anybody can find them. Uh, our band was called Naked Hipster Project. After that, I had a really good time directing the music videos, and I think that's a really great way to get started in directing because you don't have to worry about sound generally, if you're just working with the song and you can really be creative with telling the story of the music or just going in the complete opposite direction of the song. And um, so that was how I got kind of dipped my toes into directing at first. And I said, Oh, I really like doing this. And then in um, 2015, I wrote a script very short script called Cowboy and Indian that was inspired by my first trip to Joshua Tree. And it was five pages long. I said, I'm going to produce and direct and star in this. And I came up with the money because I had been doing my taxes and saw that I had these stocks that I wasn't aware of. Called the phone number. They turned out to be Accenture stocks that they had gifted me when I got laid off, and I cashed those babies out. So I got fifty five hundred dollars not not a quite a windfall, but enough for my <laughs> short film. And I put put the, all of that into Cowboy and Indian, and it was really great because I allowed myself to fail on that short. I allowed Mm -hmm. myself to make mistakes because I said, you know, the only person who will be mad is me because I'm the one who put all the money in.
2: Let me ask you a really dumb question. Well, I guess, did you make a shot list? Yes, I did. And how did you know what a shot list looks like?
4: I had friends who were filmmakers as well, and they were working on shorts or they had done like two or three features and... Um, had friends who had been directing TV shows and would ask them what I should do to prepare for this. And I definitely wanted to be overly prepared since it was going to be my my first um, narrative mm-hmm. directing experience. I will say even when I shot the music videos, I had shot lists as well. You know, I, I did like stick figure drawings for every shot. And shared them with my cinematographer and had movie dates with my cinematographer to communicate the tone that we were going for together. So definitely let him know that Cowboy and Indian was inspired um, greatly by early Tarantino film, strain spotting, um, just those kind of thriller, stylistic.
1: I have a follow up question, actually. You'd mentioned like, oh, you reached out to your friends who were working in the industry. How did you meet those people? Were they filmmakers that you had done their smaller projects and they had kind of leveled up? Were they just people around town? Did you meet meet them when they were already successful? Because I, I think that that's a thing that people hear and it's like, well, I don't know famous TV directors yet, but were they famous TV directors when you became friends with them?
4: No, no. These were people that, you know, I, I did a lot of acting classes in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, like all around town. And I will say a lot of my friends to this day are from those acting classes or they're friends of friends from those acting classes because mm-hmm. it was just really easy to connect in that kind of situation. And then you would just start hanging out with a group of people and see who you vibe with the most mm-hmm. and continue to hang out with those people. And so But it your is foothold
1: a, was was acting classes. That's
4: yes, good. it definitely yeah. was acting class. And I even noticed that even if you're a writer um, I have a lot of writer friends who took improv classes because it also helps their writing and it helps them to understand mm-hmm. actors. And And um, honestly,
1: because it's hard to make friends in Los Angeles. Yeah. Right? So so improv class is like an easy way if you've just moved out.
4: You know? It's actually a really easy way because especially the, those early levels of improv class, the mix of the class is so fun. You know, half the people are like dentists and doctors, mm-hmm. and you know, just yeah. not in the business at all. And
2: I need to get better at public a lot, speaking. A lot yeah. of funny dentists out there. Yeah.
4: yeah, 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 yeah. So, I think that's that's a that's great advice. It's just like if you're feeling lonely or you feel like you want to get out there and meet some new people, just sign up for a first level improv class for sure.
1: But the, and then also like cultivating those relationships means that eventually you know you can call upon them to ask for
2: pointers on something you know
4: yes for sure
2: okay so how did you get to the Sundance lab
4: so the Sundance lab I got into was in late 2016 I believe it was the third or fourth Sundance lab I had applied to that's something that's pretty common with the Sundance lab is you don't get in the first couple (laughs) times
1: And just to clarify, which lab is it? it, Because there's like different verticals.
4: It was the YouTube New Voices Episodic Lab. I believe it was the fourth time that I applied and it was with a totally different project. Every time I applied was a different project. So got into the lab. It was three days after the 2016 election. And we were doing our introductions around the room and I just started bawling. (laughs) (laughs) I just started crying and And I think it was good that I cracked the seal because pretty much after me, everyone who introduced themselves started crying too. We were all bonded. We had a really great class. And then after the lab, I decided to go to the film festival for the first time in 2017, Sundance Sundance Film Festival. And if you do a lab, you're considered alumni. So I got to have an alumni pass. And the... Organizers of the Sundance Labs found out that I was going. So they decided to ask me if I wanted to be a Sundance influencer. (laughs) And so I went to my first Sundance as an influencer and I got to go to all these really great events and interview the filmmakers and take over their Instagram and their Twitter. And It was an amazing first time at Sundance because I got to really be on the inside. Another exciting thing about that Sundance was that my friend Justin Chan's film Gook was premiering there that year. And so I got to go to the premiere and after I watched that movie, I was completely blown away and I went to his after party and I asked him how he got it made. And he said, I just raised money for my friends and family and we just did it ourselves. And Mm -hmm. I said okay, that's what I'm going to do. So after that Sundance, I started writing Definition Please.
1: Incredible. Awesome. Cool. Did and he say the number out loud of, of how much he'd raised?
4: Um, I think Goop costs like 250 but mm-hmm. I could be wrong. It was, it was around that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And is that... what? So now you want to make your movie. You're writing mm-hmm. a feature. You've done... This short you've done, you know, you've been an influencer at Sundance. You're obviously acting on Insecure and doing all, or is Insecure started by this point? 2016?
4: Insecure started in 2016, I believe.
2: Things are going your way. How much like is there a second a moment where you're like, maybe I can get this to HBO, like get into the studio system with this script or do anything like very Hollywoody? With it, get it, give it to an agent or a manager or producer.
4: This was 2017. I wrote the script, went through a couple of rewrites after getting notes from my friends. In 2018, I felt it was ready to go shooting script, and I had already sold some TV shows. So I went to the producer. What does that mean?
2: Like a pilot script?
4: Pilots being optioned, um, in development with production companies.
2: And did you have like reps, managers and agents that would send your scripts to these companies or?
4: No, this was like all through my own networking. But I did have I did have an agent for acting. Right. So my acting agent would get me auditions. I did not have a literary agent setting me up on meetings or generals.
2: So Um, you're telling me you can sell a TV show without having an agent.
4: So this goes back to creating and cultivating relationships while I was on opera black girl. So I don't know, probably second season like nine years ago, eight or nine years ago, I started, I had no representation. So I started being very focused about who to cold email and I cold emailed agents and managers who repped People that were of Asian descent, South Asian, black, you know, any kind of kind of diversity, if they rep them, I was like, okay, so they're like open to this." And so I emailed these people, and listen, most of the emails were not opened or I did not get a response, but I did get a few responses. and they were from some big agents.
2: And did you like find their emails like on IMDb Pro or?
4: Definitely IMDb Pro. One of those agents was Charles King. He was working at WME at the time and he was very kind and said, hey, I can't um, really, you know, rep you or do anything for you right now, but let's keep in touch. And I was like, oh, that's good. That's cool.
1: I love the reaction of like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's great. Because I think a more pessimistic person would be like, well, that's a polite brush off right and I think over years of, of talking to people on the show you're you're shaking your head no that's obviously true right like I, I'm sure that ultimately things worked out like you did keep in touch with him but I, I it, to me there's like a pathway of like people deciding to like stay positive to keep in touch to actually like you know follow up basically those are the people that make it and the people who are like well, yeah they decided to go another way or they can't help me right now. You know, that stuff uh, you know, it dies on the vine, basically.
4: Something that actors are told is book the room, not the job. And and I take that into my writing career, into my directing career, and I want to book the room. I wanna create as many fans as I can. So even if I'm going into pitch on Fast and the Furious 10 or Fantastic for i I'm trying to book the room. I'm trying to make a friend in this executive so this person will think of me next time for something that maybe is more right for me. And so that's what you learn as an actor to do because so much of the time we're going in for these roles that don't fit us. And we're like, this is, mm-hmm. I'm never going to book this. And then our reps are like, just go make a fan. yeah," Because this Casting director is obviously casting multiple TV shows, multiple movies. You'll be right for them at some point. And so that's how I feel in terms of being a filmmaker as well. Mm -hmm. And so when Charles responded to that email, I was really happy. I was like, oh, great.
2: When you emailed Charles, did you say like, hey, I noticed you represent other some South Asian people like so and so and so and so. And I thought you might be interested, like. Open to stories sure. about this, or were you? And did you send a script or tell them oh, about no, a protector? No, no. Definitely
4: didn't send a script. I, I just said I think in the subject line I wrote "I'm on Awkward Black Girl," <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
3: <laughs> right. Right. <Great>. Yeah. <laughs> which was
4: yeah. which was the hot web series that everybody was mm-hmm. talking about. And then in the in the email I said, "Hey, I noticed you uh, rep diverse actors and diverse writers and." if you'd be open to, I did not attach a script to this email. Um, If you'd be open to uh, reading some of my scripts, uh, would love to, you know, send you something. Then he wrote that really polite email back. He said, keep in touch. And then honestly, like a few years later, that's when he started macro. And Mm. that, that is the studio. And Mm -hmm. so I, I let, him settle into macro for a couple months didn't hit him up right away and then maybe like 6 months after um macro had been happening i hit him up and i said and in between i had probably sent a couple emails checking in nothing nothing too annoying in terms of a check in i would be like oh here's a music video i directed or like you know um after a few months of him being at macro i said hey i would love to pitch you some stuff and he said cool come on in and so then the meeting was set i went in i pitched three scripts that i had already written and then one of those scripts they optioned and then of course we took it out and no one bought it and it's fine but
2: can you tell us the long line
4: uh no because it's still like in play
2: okay that's awesome
4: yeah yeah. it's a half hour comedy workplace comedy, so, yeah. so that was really great experience that I have with Macro. And I'm still very good friends with Macro and Charles and all the great executives there that he works with. And it's just important to stay connected to the people who believed in you, you know, back in the day, and they continue to believe in you. And at some point, there will be some synergy.
1: I think also, you know, once you've sold a TV show, not only can you say, Oh, I've sold a TV show, but also you get all of that experience of going through development and, and maybe most importantly, knowing that it's not that it's not impossible. It's a thing that people do all the time. And you you have done it and it's it's part of your experience now, right?
4: Yes. Yeah. And it's really fun. Every time I do it. I learned something new and it's very educational. And of course, like you do want to sell it to the buyer or Mm -hmm. the distributor, which is, you know, the streamer, the network. Um, But if you don't get to that point of selling it and getting it on the air, you've still learned so much along the way.
1: And and so I think that brings us back to uh, Orrin's initial question of like, did you think of taking definition, please? Using that ex- that set of experience and all of your network and contacts, did you think of taking that to do traditional buyers and things like to that? To macro
2: or, or, to to, man, or who,
1: to whomever, right? I'm sure you've got a, yeah, a role in people as well. Oh or were you just like listen I, I
4: haven't I've only been with William Morris uh for since like last May
2: i think oh, okay. after you made the, movie. After you made the yeah. movie yeah yeah
4: yeah so i I was not right. gonna but i mean it, right more. but you had <laughs>
2: charles king
4: oh right it right, right. yeah, was yeah, at
2: yeah. wme before right so yeah but um, I, like yeah because i guess i don't know one you know i made a movie an indie film and i'm trying to think you know we we tried a little bit of touching hollywood but you know it didn't it was pretty obvious nothing was going to happen but matt's kind of in the process right now of like i mean obviously it's an indie film but between the like small studio label indie film like like should we pursue that route or should we you know just kind of do it ourselves route
4: i think i was definitely leaning towards doing it ourselves because justin was such a huge inspiration in terms mm-hmm. of getting a film made and just getting it out there and and i had already had the experience of working on opera black girl which was a similar You know, just putting your own money into something and getting it made. And then I had also done a film with Matthew Cherry called Nine Rides, where he just scrambled up the money together to shoot this film on uh, an iPhone. And it went to South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. And so I was consistently surrounded by these creators that weren't pitching to traditional places.
3: Right. And
1: they were just shooting it
4: they were just shooting it. So for me, I was I went into writing the script of definition please aware that I could shoot this on my own.
2: Right, like designing it around your hometown or some resources you have yes. or actors you know or all Yeah, there's
4: no like big budget action scenes with car chases and explosions in right. the film.
2: I mean there's some big spelling bees, right?
4: There are some big spelling bees. Yeah. This was early 2019. I went back to Sundance, this time with HBO. So I'm, I'm an HBO visionaries ambassador, which means that in 2018, I believe, in 2018, they chose me to kind of be the ambassador to pick three short films out of 10 short films that were Asian American theme. These three short films would be the winners and they would premiere on HBO. In 2019, I went back to Sundance HBO sponsor me to be on a panel with Asian American creators. Mm -hmm. Uh, Justin was on the panel with me. Uh, Lulu Wong was on the panel. Justin's next film played Miss Purple. And I just started beating myself up. I was Mm -hmm. like, Justin has made two movies. And once again, Miss Purple, he he had already done Gook. Mm-hmm. Had already won the Sundance Audience Award, and then he made Didn't Ms. Purple on his own yeah. again, and that was good for me because it kicked mm-hmm. me in the butt. And I said, "Okay, I'm gonna shoot Definition Please this summer, June of 2019, and I'm gonna shoot it no matter what, even if it's with a dollar that mm-hmm. I have in my pocket." And at that moment, uh, Wait, had
2: Justin been, he's uh, in Twilight. He's true?
4: in Twilight, the original movie, yes.
2: Okay, but he's still making his low budget indie films. Yeah, man. He's not yeah. using that Twilight money.
4: He's not using that Twilight money.
2: He's a, a force of nature. Then I mean, you're impressed
1: by that. You're you're beating yourself up. You say, okay.
4: So uh serendipitously, and this is gonna you're you guys are gonna get into the nitpicky questions about this as well, because I got an email.
2: $500,000. I got, dollars. Would you <laughs> I like got
4: an email in that moment saying Not, that a, while, a sh- while
1: you're on the panel,
4: while I was making the decision at okay. Sundance, this is probably before or after the panel that mm-hmm. I was going to shoot my movie, saying, telling me that one of my shows, another show that I had sold, had been caught up in the Time Warner uh, merger. Mm-hmm. And it was, the rights were being returned back to me along with a huge check. Ooh.
1: Oh, along with a huge check.
4: Yeah, I have really good lawyers. That's so. great.
1: So I, you um,
4: want to have good lawyers.
1: Yeah, I've had that's happened to me multiple times, but no checks are ever involved.
4: Got a check, <laughs> yeah. got a check. And so I was like, cool. I did not know this money was coming to me. Guess what? I'm going to be the first investor into my film. I put all of that money into my movie. At that point, I just started, I got back from Sundance. Anyone that I would have coffee with, lunch with, this was the time when people were regretting picking my brain at coffee because I just would be like, okay, do you want to put money into my movie? Just (laughs) anyone that I would talk to. I would run into people at commercial auditions. You want to put money into my movie? But what happened is that, listen, a lot of my friends are actors and We don't have a lot of expendable money. And they would say, oh, I don't. But
3: I have a cousin who. This
2: this dentist in my improv class.
4: Yes, Mm -hmm. I have a cousin. I have a dentist. I have a dentist friend. I have a real estate friend. I have a brother. So it was these kind of secondary meetings that led to. Raising the rest of the money.
2: And did you, you had like a business plan and you were giving away equity and all that.
4: So I had, um, my film lawyers come on board right away. It was Raymo law. They're Uh, great. They deal with a lot of indie films and they helped us, uh, with the investor contracts Mm -hmm. and, The decks that I was sending investors were the script, obviously a pitch deck for the film, a pitch deck for myself, because I had never directed a feature film before the investor contract and the budget, because I had my producer on board already. So we had the full budget sheets and then we took it from there.
2: What was the pitch for yourself?
4: The pitch for myself just kind of expanded on my resume. So, hey, I'm a Sundance, you know, lab fellow, I'm an influencer, I go to Sundance every year, I'm always either working for them or, you know, participating in a panel, I have sold all these shows to these different production companies.
2: And this is your story that you're telling.
4: So this is Yeah, this is the story that I'm telling. Yeah, yeah, it was it was actually really fun to put the little pitch about myself together.
1: And how long did it take for you once you started fundraising in earnest how long did it take for you to to put the money together
4: we kept raising money even until after it was mm-hmm. in, in the can so so we continued to raise money and we would you know need more for post and then mm-hmm. um raise a little more money and like, how would... much is
2: this song oh no yeah.
4: <laughs> all our music was is original
2: music oh so. good it's so, from yeah. the naked <laughs> hipster project
4: <laughs> no 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 we have an amazing Amazing uh, composer Amanda Jones, who's worked on a lot of stuff. So we were. Lucky I know Amanda her.
1: Jones. Yeah, great.
4: Met her at Sundance.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah, she did um, a show I did called Shitty Boyfriends.
4: Oh, cool! Um,
2: awesome. Yeah, yeah. She's great.
4: she's awesome. Yeah.
2: Cool. So then, so you finished the movie. Was it fun making it?
4: It was so fun. There was uh, no issues. No issues came up.
2: Uh, Every shot's perfectly in focus. No actors forgot their lines.
4: We had a great AC. We had (laughs) amazing actors um, who came prepared, recognizing that we didn't have a lot of time to shoot, didn't have time to do a lot of takes. So they would all come very much memorized. Where did you shoot? In my hometown, in Greensburg. That is my parents' house. That's the house that I grew up in, in the movie.
2: And did you bring actors from like local actors or how did you get your cast?
4: No, we brought a lot of my friends from L.A. And to play uh, the lead and the supporting roles and didn't have any auditions. Since I'm an actor, I am aware of someone's ability generally because I've worked with them or I'm friends of theirs and I've seen them in a lot of work. So I, I just kind of texted my friends to be in my movie.
2: So was there ever a moment where you're like, oh, this is a great role for this famous person. We should try to get them in the movie.
4: Yes. Jake Choi plays Richie in my film. He plays my love interest. And initially we were definitely looking at, I don't know, like Josh Hutcherson Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, namey type celebrity guys. And then I met Jake and I said, nope, it's going to be Jake.
1: I love talking about the hometown feature, you know, like the thing of like having roots somewhere and also like a place that maybe is a little less jaded by a film shoot. Were people excited? What sort of opportunities were you able to seize on that you couldn't do in L.A.? Like, was it worth it to fly everybody out there? Like, you, it's a lot of people that you're you're flying out. From Los Angeles, you know, and then presumably putting up somewhere.
4: It was definitely worth it. I think what was really fun and surprising for us is we we were in prep and we're in Greensburg and we're trying to get these locations and we call the Pittsburgh Film Office and say, hey, we're trying to get permits for these streets, for these buildings. And they tell us we don't need permits to shoot anywhere. And it's free.
2: Right. Just ask the police to stop the cars and then uh, do a few takes.
4: (laughs) And I was blown away. Our whole team was pretty much blown away by that because that's not a normal thing in New York or L.A. And that was really fun and exciting. Um, The community really came together to make the movie happen, really. Even on my crew, I had people that I've known since middle school and high school are our wardrobe person is someone that I've known for years. Um, my production designer, that's her tree house in the movie. We actually used her house for multiple locations Mm -hmm. in the film. My high school principal's house was used for, uh, the tutoring montage at the beginning of the movie. Um, Krista's house was one of my friends' houses.
1: Talk to us a little bit about crewing. Did you fly department heads out? Were you sourcing people locally? How did it work on a technical level? I'm curious.
4: I had just worked with Brooks Ludwig, my cinematographer, on an independent film called Blowing Up Right Now. And that was also very much a low-budget shoot. Uh, We shot it in nine or ten days, and I noticed how quickly and well he worked. And that's exactly what we needed for my film. And so I got him on board right away and we started having movie dates once again to figure out the tone and the different shots that we both wanted. Brooks Ludwig and and Cameron Fife, who's my producer and line producer, we all came out right away for prep. And then Brooks picked his kind of camera team Um with hair and makeup, I flew out, someone new that I had not known from LA that was a friend of a friend and she was great. She had worked on Duplass Brothers movies before. Phoebe Tran. We had, like I said, Caitlin McHugh was my production designer. She is just a friend of mine that I've okay. known forever. Rachel Velazzi was our wardrobe designer. She was, is from back home, lives in Pittsburgh. So she was local. Um, and then with our gaffing and lighting department, we hired a lot of local people, actually. So that mm-hmm. was really fun. It was kind of hard to crew up in Pittsburgh because there's a lot of shooting going on there right now. Sure, and yeah. at the same time, there were there was like a Netflix show shooting, an Apple show. So a lot of the crew was already taken. I don't know. It was just really fun having this mix of of crew from out of town and then local crew and everybody becoming friends. So, so that was really great.
2: That's that's awesome. And I think like shooting, like to me, there's so much production value. Even if you just watch your trailer when you are not shooting in LA or New York, like, I mean, Matt and I see a lot of trailers for movies that were shot in LA and there's something instantly that feels kind of low budget about it. I don't, you know, because it's these locations we've seen.
1: Stealing a a location. Like we, it's not that LA doesn't have great locations. It's just that people are freaked out about stealing them. Whereas, you know, you didn't have to permit a thing. So you could take as much time as you had to, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a totally different deal than like, just kind of running and gunning. Yeah, to just get that scale. And then also, you know, to knock on some doors or ask some old friends for practical locations. Again, the, the my point about like people being jaded in Los Angeles, they're like, yeah, you can shoot in my house for $4,000.
4: One of our like most amazing kind of stories that came out of shooting on my street was we had called the Pittsburgh Film Office and they said no permits, but you need you should get the permission of the people around you. So we were shooting a night scene um, around 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. It was going to be loud. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a fight scene. And I hand wrote like eight or nine notes to tape on the doors of my neighbors up and down the street.
1: I love that you hand wrote them. I think that's (laughs) actually truly, I think, smart. Right. Because Mm -hmm. like no one wants just like a photocopied like, hey, heads up, we're shooting on the street. You know, like putting a little TLC on it, I think, is part of what keeps people happy and engaged. You know, it's yeah, a way of treating yeah. people well.
4: Yeah. And I wrote, you know, the the name of my producer and his phone number and said, if you have any questions, please feel free to give him a call. And we got two calls and one asked, like, what the movie was about. This is so exciting. What's happening? And the other one was, can I be an extra? And <laughs> okay. So just like fun, fun calls to get. And then as we were shooting the scene, some of my neighbors like came out of their houses with lawn chairs and cracked open beers to just watch us shoot the scene. And and I just felt like that was so totally classic Greensburg of them. It was really great.
2: Okay, so you made Definition, Please. Where did it premiere?
4: It premiered at Bentonville Film Festival. Oh,
2: awesome. Awesome.
4: Yes. Yes. In 2020.
2: Pre-pandemic or post-pandemic?
4: That was in the middle of the freaking pandemic. August 2020.
1: And Remind, Bentonville is very selective. It's like a handful of films, right? Am I-
4: so I will say it's a part of my strategy for film festivals was hitting up all the film festivals that had showed Cowboy and Indian mm. years You're before. Mm-hmm. And, and Cowboy and Indian had played at Bentonville. So I personally hit them up and said, hey, would you guys like to premiere my first feature? We were planning to premiere at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival in late April of 2020. And of course that got canceled. So we regrouped and we decided to do the virtual film festival circuit, even though a lot of my friends were holding Mm -hmm. off doing that. I said, I have so many other projects that I'm working on that I just want to get this film out there ASAP. And so that's when um, we said yes to Bentonville for the premiere.
2: Like how much of your decision was connected to the business of making a profitable film? And was that ever anything that like was part of your calculations?
4: Yes, because even that summer when all the festivals started getting canceled, we did not have a sales agent. We've never had a sales agent, actually, but we did start we had producers who had connections to people at different studios um, and distributors. so we started sending the film to these people to see if we can just sell it right away. And that didn't happen.
2: and that was before the festivals, even Yes. So how did you guys get to Netflix?
4: In December of 2020, so this is a few months after our premiere, we had gotten a really glowing Hollywood Reporter Review. We were getting a lot of great press. Mindy Kaling was on a political fundraiser, Zoom, and she mentioned out of nowhere that she was really excited to watch Definition, Please, and mention my name.
1: I mean, did you know her? That's pretty cool. No. Yeah.
4: No, I did not know her.
1: (laughs) Were you watching the premiere? Or did you hear about it secondhand?
4: Uh, I started getting a lot of texts and emails. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I was like, what? And then I just tweeted at her and I said, hey, thank you so much for, you know, dropping our name. Like, we really appreciate you. We look up to you, you know, your trailblazer for all of us. And then she retweeted that and was like, can't wait to see it. At that time, I had reps that sent her the link to the movie. Yeah,
3: and cool
4: and then a few months later and i didn't know if she had watched it or anything and then a few months later she tweeted about it again and said loved definition please just was like glowing about it and i was like okay that's cool um she continued to do that every few months whether it was an instagram or a story or you know something like that and in the meantime me and my cast we were supporting we were going to like the Never Have I Ever events and mm-hmm. taking pictures there. And supporting you're like, her Mindy, show.
2: you could cast me uh, in your <laughs> show if you, if you want. Or
4: I'd love to direct it. Yeah, that would be fun. Episode, yeah. Yeah. So that was really exciting. So I think something that was really great for us as we did the virtual film festival circuit, we got into a bunch of film festivals. We started winning awards and we just started picking up fans along the way, which is really important for an indie film. Mm-hmm. And then as the end of 2021, it was fall 2021. A few months ago, I had reached out to Mindy to ask her to be an executive producer. And she said, yes.
2: On definition, um, please.
4: On definition, please. Cause we still hadn't sold it. We had t- t- taken it out to everywhere, gotten rejected by everyone. We finally had our in-person LA Asian Film Festival premiere in September of 2021, September October. When that happened, I had sent an invite to Ava and Tulane at Array, and they didn't. They ended up not coming.
2: Can I ask you how you send an invite to Ava DuVernay?
4: I already had their emails because I I had known Ava since Awkward Black Girl days. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we had been, we follow each other on socials and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it it wasn't like a cold invite. And then a a month after the premiere, maybe after they had seen, you know, the pictures and the hype behind the movie, uh, Tulane reached out and asked if we had a distributor yet. And I said no. And then... Array picked up the film and Array has a deal with Netflix.
1: There are so many teachable moments, we'll say, throughout that entire story. I mean, I think the ultimate theme is just persistence, right? Like, I think the the thing that specifically like a, a skill in social persistence, right? And being able to be like, oh, yeah, I sent them an email, right? Like not making that too sweaty, posting about it. It feels like a fundamental thing about being a filmmaker right now, but I think it's easy to Ignore those parts of it, right? It's not just writing a great movie and shooting it and then, you know, trying to get it out into the world, but hitting up all of the film festivals that you already have relationships with, building a social media fan base of grassroots people who are supporting and therefore say liking, you know, posts when you post about something a year after the film's already premiered. So that it spikes the algorithm and then maybe actually some other people, more and more people end up seeing it. There's a lot of like overcoming pandemics. Sure. And yeah. elections. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But web series lessons, I think, actually, um, that have really kind of come to fruition and made this, this film a success.
2: And I think your story is, I mean, it's, it's awesome. But like a lot of the kind of success stories follow this where it's like from the headline, it's like feature her feature debut. EP'd by Mindy Kaling, you know, Mm -hmm. premiering, playing on Netflix, like, but they don't include like moved here 12 years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. like had a day job, took acting classes, you know, like loved being a server.
4: This is all true.
2: People just see the end and they're like, oh, why does she get to do all that? You know, like, and uh, I wrote a movie. No one, no one's making my movie.
4: Well, listen, it's always seen as an overnight success because all you're seeing is the the end product and you're not seeing the hard work and the relationships going into getting a movie to a distributor, to a Netflix. Mm-hmm. And 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 it was a lot of hard work and it was a lot of like blood, sweat and tears that got us there. But like you said, Matt, it, it is about persistence. It's about not letting the rejections get to you, not letting them be personal.
2: Well, so what's next?
4: I... Wrote a couple of script scripts over the pandemic. So I'm out pitching uh, one feature and two pilots, and I'm out pitching mm-hmm. all of these projects uh, pretty much at the same time. Do you have and- a
2: schedule, like a writing schedule? I mean, you no. obviously generate a lot of content. How do you I I only
4: write when I'm inspired. So I'm not that person that is waking up at 4 a.m. or 6 a.m. and I write from like six to eight. Like that's not that's not how I function. I come up with an idea and and I get excited about it. And then I just start putting it on the page, whether it be an outline or a pitch or a one sheet or getting right into the script. It always differs in terms of the project.
2: And you always write alone?
4: I always write alone. Yes. I always write alone. I have four to five friends that I trust in terms of getting real notes from that are very Mm -hmm. helpful. And then I will always write a, a first draft. I don't usually let anyone read that first draft. I go through it and do a second draft. And then I send that second draft out to the people that I trust to give me notes and then get back the notes. And then I go... Do a couple more drafts.
1: From a business perspective, is there anything that has changed about your approach to this next feature? Are you still thinking you'll go back and find equity investment? Are you pitching? Are you taking it out to people? Are you doing the thing now?
4: I am probably not going to shoot it on my own, probably not going to go the independent route. I would love to set it up somewhere proper have a proper budget and and have distribution in place before i make it and i mean we'll see how well that works out for me (laughs) we'll see if that works out a lot at all um but but yeah i am treating this feature differently just because it is a higher budget
2: like from a script point of view like yes creatively awesome well uh, we hope that
1: you'll come back when that next feature is made.
4: For sure. I'd love to come back.
1: Before we let you go, can you uh, endorse with us?
4: Yes. Unpaid endorsement.
1: So my unpaid endorsement is a new cookbook called I Dream of Dinner by Allie Slagle. Allie writes for New York Times. She develops all sorts of great recipes there. But the reason that I like it very much is that it comes from a perspective of like, I read in an interview, she like used to develop recipes for like the Martha Stewart food delivery service, right? And she was like, oh, you know what's awesome about cooking? When you use the whole can or the whole package, like you're not measuring stuff. You're just like, there's not stuff that's left over. This is a a recipe that is designed to be Clean and efficient and not waste a thing. So you're going to buy your ingredients and you're going to use them all and you're not going to have to think about it ever again. And so this cookbook uses a lot of those philosophies and it's been really great so far. So that is my endorsement. I Dream of Dinner by Ali Slagle. Okay, what do you got, Sajana? I got I got real into cooking, Sajana, so.
3: <laughs> so That's
4: awesome. I feel like I I'm not a good cook at all, so...
1: Well, maybe check out this cookbook. Maybe,
4: maybe I should check out the cookbook. She's also, um, she's
1: not a trained chef. So it's not like it's, there's not like a ton of like highfalutin techniques in it. It's like chop the thing, oh, saute oh, it, that's great. add the sauce. You're good to go. I
4: if like you don't it. have
1: this, use that. It's like for people who are busy, but also like to eat well.
4: That's amazing. My unpaid endorsement is the series Pachinko on Apple Plus. Mm. which I became obsessed with the book a few years ago when it came out. And sometimes what happens is when I read a new book, I'll Google it because I know that it's in development somewhere to be made into a TV show or a movie. And and when I Google Pachinko, it was in development at Apple and just got really excited about it because it felt like the right place for this series, which was going to be very expensive because it's a very, it's a very expansive show about three generations of Korean, Japanese, American families. And they go from, they go shoot in each country. You follow the story of one woman through these generations and her family members. And so I was really excited to see it be brought to the screen. And I, just recently finished the last episode and it's everything I wanted it to be. I cried in that last episode. It's created by Sue Hugh, who is an amazing um, writer, producer. And my friend, Justin Chan directed a few of those episodes. So just like bringing it all back. Every episode is out right now. Um, I also recommend reading the book. It's a beautiful book. If you have time, if you're a reader, um, highly recommend.
2: I've got two mediocre ones. When they're not great, I do multiple ones. So first yeah. of all, my son turned one a couple of days ago. And uh, we had a little party for him. I'm not a huge fan of cake. First of all, you need like forks and plates. And then people just like take a bite. And they're like, this is gross.
1: What are you... Wait, uh, hold on. You don't like cake?
2: <sighs> yeah. No, is, is it mean, that
1: you, you just don't think it's
2: worth it? Is that what you're I, saying? I like ice cream cake. It's just... Yeah, it's like... The, I don't know. I really like cookies. Okay. And mm-hmm. I really like ice cream. And so I said to my wife, I was like, let's, what, what if we just do cookies, like really delicious cookies, like the kinds you'd get like at Jones on third or like at a really amazing bakery. And then I did all this research, you know, I went to Eater LA and did like the best cookies in LA stuff. And like, no matter how many cookies you buy, they're like $5 a cookie. And we wanted yeah. to get like 40 yeah. cookies. And I was like, that's, that's a lot of money on cookies, 200 yeah. bucks for cookie. I don't know. I guess it's a lot, but I don't know. Anyway, yeah, what the box of cake is? <laughs> <laughs> well, cake you get what you pay for with cake. Uh, my wife was like, "I have an even better idea. What if we make our own chip witches?" So uh, you know, which is like a cookie with ice cream, like a
3: yeah, ice delicious. Cream sandwich.
2: So we just ended up getting like dough, you know, like chocolate chip cookie dough at the grocery store, and making our own cookies. And you under bake them a little bit, and then you freeze them. And then we just got like some really good vanilla ice cream and we made our own. You, you put the vanilla ice cream, you know, you let it soften, you put it there, you squeeze it between two cookies, you roll it sideways and like chocolate chips, you know, so the chips are on the outside of the it's ice like cream. It's like
4: an It's It. Do you yeah. know what an It's It is? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Then you put
2: it back in the freezer and then it was a huge hit. I um, actually still have a few left. I might go eat one right after this. Uh, this
4: interview. was not a mediocre endorsement. Yes,
2: it's yeah, just an so. idea, and it ended up being you know pretty affordable. It's like two tubs of vanilla ice cream and like three tubes of cookie dough or whatever chocolate chip cookie dough, and uh, it made and like the cost 50. of labor. But it was really fun. My other recommendation is if you feel like you've been scammed by like a website or fished or whatever, or if you're just trying to figure out if you should trust um, a website, like I'm sure there's a lot of there's probably a lot of websites where you can check other website mm-hmm. domains and, and things. But like what I always do is I go to 2cows. Do you know? T-U-C-O-W-S. They're pretty much like the original people that started like a, assigning people domain names. And you can do a who is search on there. And you can put in any domain like SajanaDay.com and see who registered it, when. You can sometimes see their address and phone number and all that stuff. Most places nowadays, if you register through GoDaddy or... Namecheap or whatever, one of those domain places, Squarespace, they'll hide your personal info. But if you're ever trying to figure out like who owns this website that just scammed you out of something, that's like the first step is go to two cows, who is, and you can start researching like who, who bought this domain name. Literally who, who is scamming you.
4: Wow.
2: Anyhow just a tool if you need it sujata how
1: can listeners keep track of what's going on in your life how do you like to let people know what's going on in your
4: I'm world i'm very active on both twitter and instagram so that is where you can find me and definition please also has its own twitter and instagram i'm at sujata day and definition please is definition please on instagram and d f n please on Twitter.
2: If you have any questions about what Sajana said, any thoughts, any ideas, if you want to tell us your definitions, please email us at uh, JustShootItPod at gmail.com. You can find us across all social media at JustShootItPod. You can find me at Instagram. I'm at O. Kaplan. On Twitter, I'm at pyleg And I'm at Mr. Matt Enloe. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thank you, Noah. And you're listening
1: to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Chazar. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye.
3: Bye.